Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Now today, I want to, I've been thinking about this and I've made some notes and and uh, I guess if I was to title this, I would title it Assuring Your Victory. And I want you to know that I know how much the devil fights those who want to be victorious in God. Who want prayers answered, breakthroughs, you know, your, 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 your dream coming true, your, your family right, your finances right, your health right. And, and you know, uh, uh, the world has no idea, has no idea whatsoever that there is a good God that loves them so much that, they, that, that He wants to come down into their lives and make it possible for them to have things they couldn't have without Him, to do things they couldn't do without Him, and actually and in reality to be someone they couldn't be without Him. And the things about God are good, they're righteous, they're holy. Uh, there, it's just something about serving God. And Lee and I, you know, we, uh, I guess next month we'll be married 33 years. Uh, we've, we've been through some things. But what's amazing about serving God is this. Whenever you go through things, no matter how severe they may be, we've been through physical things, financial things, all, you, you name it. But no matter how severe or how strong the enemy comes in opposition to you, if you're serving God the way you should be, you always know you're going through the situation. You're coming out on the other side, and you're going to be demonstrating the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, in in remembrance of a couple of things we've been teaching, we've been using four words. uh, Intention, what are the intentions of God? Influence, what influence are you under? Perception, what is your perception? And persuasion, what are you fully persuaded of? Now, in teaching that I was listening to this week, I was also reminded of the major teaching of Christianity. What is taught in Christianity comes from two different camps of really what can be described as old German theology. Um, part of it is an is a, um, uh, eternal security and predestination type mentality that's basically not scriptural. Uh, once saved, always saved. And, uh, and if you're destined to be saved, then you will be saved. If you're destined not to be saved, then you won't be saved. And it's basically a doctrine of God's in control of everything all the time. Now, the other major doctrine of Christianity, and we could talk about all the different denominations that adhere to that. And then there's the other half of the denominations of, of Christianity adhere to works-based Christianity. That's why, you know, we don't wear makeup, we don't do this, we don't do that. It's all works-based. And they really have no reality of the great, enormous wealth of revelation and faith produced by it that has been deposited in the letters to the church by the Apostle Paul. We live here at Island Church, we live and move and have our being in the redemptive revelation of the Pauline epistles. You say, what do you mean by that? We have have to know as believers who we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ Jesus. Has nothing to do with any type of predestination. Has nothing to do with anything that we do by works. As we saw last week, it's all by grace. Everybody say grace. So we must realize and recognize that there is a God. Everybody say, there is a God. And and a lot of the people think, well, there is a God sitting up in heaven and kind of picking and choosing what He's going to do. That's not true. Uh, After after praying for a while, I wrote this down. Listen to this. I may read it again at the end end of my message today. I wrote this down after praying. 
I was sitting in my office meditating. God loves you so much, unconditionally. Therefore, he, had grant, he has granted us a settled covenant. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Not only is it a settled covenant, it's a blood covenant. And it's not the blood of bulls and goats or even humanity. It's the blood of Almighty God. Holy blood, righteous blood. Blood that cries out for us every day upon the mercy seat. Amen? He says he has granted us a settled covenant. So what is a covenant? It's a binding agreement that carries a greater weight than a contract in that its boundaries and, and, and perimeters and conditions rely on a greater uh, connection than a signature. You say, what does it rely on? The blood. Everybody say, the blood. So we have a settled covenant based upon his inability to lie. God cannot lie. It's not that he's so good that he chooses not to lie. The Bible says God is truth. Well, if it comes out of his mouth, it's truth. He cannot lie. Everybody say he cannot lie. This accomplishes for him. Now this accomplishes for God the right to not to have to judge every circumstance, every trial, every trouble that we go through as to their merit to his action. Now did you hear that? This gives God the right not to have to judge Every circumstance, every trial, every trouble we go, to, go through as to their merit for His action. That means God does not react to your problem just because you have a problem. You say, well, that's not fair. No, it's just. Everybody say, it's just. Now listen to this. Uh, uh, let me read it again. This accomplishes for God the right not to have to judge every circumstance, every trial, every trouble we go through as to their merit for His action. This is not fair to God. This is not right. We must understand. But instead of God getting caught up in all the drama and emotion of your problem as to determine your worthiness of receiving an answer, God has done the most wise and just thing He could do. He provided victory in Christ and provided His Word which produces faith and accesses His grace and then imparts to us that part of Himself which has the ability to bring the provision from the unseen to the seen which is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo! Glory to God! Now that's what you'd call a, a prophecy or a, you know, a word of encouragement. But literally that's what it is. It's not like God sitting up and saying, well, you know, that person, I, you know, I, well, you know, I don't judge them or that. No, it's, he's saying, just rise up in Christ. Amen. In Him you live and move and have your being. Just respond to the Word of God I've given you, the Spirit of God I've put in you, and I guarantee you can access all the grace that's up there in that unseen realm and bring it right down into your life. Amen. And the, 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 the real reality of it is it's not God's choice, it's our choice. He's already made provision for every choice we make to approach the throne of mercy. Amen. Now, go to, go to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 6. I've got three or four scriptures and I'll do my best to hit them all and get this thought over to you this morning. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Now, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now listen to it in the Amplified. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against despotisms, against powers, against the master spirits, who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, 
in the heavenly or the supernatural sphere. Now, when you got born again, now listen to me. When you got born again, you stepped into this confrontation. Now let me, you've got to realize this as a believer. When you got born again, you stepped into a confrontation with principalities, with powers, with evil despotisms, with all of these different dimensions of the spirit realm which are evil. They begin to see in you the potential of Christ which made you an individual that had the potential in you of demonstrating their defeat. Now let me just say this. The devil should never be viewed as a threat to you. You should view yourself as a threat to the devil. I need to say that a couple more times. I tell you, you need to hear that. The devil should should never be viewed as a threat to you. You should view yourself as a threat to the devil, as a threat to principalities, as a threat to evil despotisms, as a threat to any spiritual wickedness in high places. You need to view yourself. I mean, when you get up in the morning, you ought to say to yourself, I'm a threat to every wicked spirit, to every bit of darkness in this region. I'm a threat, and today I'm going to demonstrate the defeat of darkness in my life. I tell you, you've got to do it. You've got to make a decision. Amen? Now, in understanding that, we understand that the intention of God is victory. Amen? Amen? I mean, thanks be unto God who causes us to triumph on every third Tuesday uh, in in months that that have S's on the front. No, the Bible says thanks be unto God that causes us. Does anybody know? Always. Always. Listen, God doesn't have a scorecard or, or, or a scoreboard with a place on the side for the devil's score. He just put a big zero up there and he leaves it up there. Let me try it on this side over here. Maybe they'll get it. God didn't put a scoreboard up there with a place on one side for the devil's score. He just put the devil and then he put a big zero. And then on the other side is your name and you decide how many points you get on that side. I mean, he's been brought to naught. He's zero. But if you allow him, he will come in and do everything he can do to destroy your life. And if you don't understand that, if you don't recognize that and realize that, then literally you're going to be subject to his wiles, to his attacks, to everything he wants and tries to do to you. And you will live literally in misery thinking, why doesn't God do something? And that's really not the question. The question is, why don't you do something? Now, in meditating on this and thinking about it, assuring your victory, three areas we're going to look at real quick. First of all, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These are three areas you must make sure in your life that you have control of these three areas, that these three areas are working for you and not against you, and that these three areas are lined up with the Word of God. First of all, where are we at? 2 Corinthians. Did I tell you that? Let me get over there. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 3. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now notice this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought. Now how many thoughts? Every thought into the obedience of Christ. Number one, you have to win the fight of the thought realm. Now listen, it is amazing how the human mind operates. They tell us we only use 10%. I don't know. I don't know if I use 10% or 2%. It's hard to tell sometimes. But I know this, that for some reason, the adversary has an ability to begin to impart thoughts into your mind at such a rate that if you allow it to happen, it will literally wear you out. Thought after thought after thought after thought after thought. And it's like a fisherman throwing a lure. You know, a fisherman will stand out there knowing there's fish out there in front. And he'll throw that lure, and he'll throw that lure, and he'll speed it up, or he'll slow it down, or he'll make it dance, or he'll do this, or he'll do that. But what he's doing, he's looking for a bite. He's looking for, he's looking, uh, these guys that know how to fish real well with these lures, like looking for a blow up, looking for, looking for a fish to come up and go after that bait. Now, if he hits it the right way, he's hooked. The enemy does the same thing in your mind. Every time you experience your mind being flooded with thoughts, thoughts of destruction, thoughts of pain, thoughts of addiction, thoughts of depression, the enemy is standing on his boat and he's casting at you. He's casting thought after thought after thought after thought after thought. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to get you to strike. Because whatever thought you strike on... That's the thought that you're giving attention to. And when you begin to entertain that thought, he accesses your imagination. And I'm telling you, that's, that is our problem, church. We have such overstimulated imaginations. Hollywood and books and all kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with having an imagination. Just use it to meditate in the Word of God. But see what the enemy wants to do? He wants to paint in your mind an imaginary portrait of your defeat, of you laying there in the hospital bed, of you being evicted from your house, of you losing your job, of your home being broken up, your marriage being... He wants to paint that picture because if he can get that into your imagination, he knows you will give attention to that. And once you begin to give attention to that, the next thing he wants to do is to take it from the realm of your thoughts and your imaginations and get it into the realm of what you say. So that's the next scripture. Go over to, go over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now look at this. Matthew chapter 12, verse... Let's start in verse 36. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now notice this. For by thy words, not by your thoughts... By your words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now the enemy is, look, now listen, you've got to get this this morning. He wants to invade your mind 
in order to give you, or in order to uh, maximize his potential to give you an opportunity to get hold of a thought, to begin to entertain a thought, a thought of sickness, a thought of disease, poverty, like you, you, can, you name it, that's what it is. Now he knows once you've grabbed that one thought, that's why Jesus said, take no thought. Take no thought for tomorrow. Don't take thought. Because once he can get you to entertain that thought, now he's in your imagination. And your imagination is very well developed. So in your imagination, all these different scenarios. And what's unique about that is in your imagination, the enemy wants to amplify, magnify that imagination, make it in stereo, in full color, in every way you can see it and think it. Amen. In order to get you to what? To say it. Because he knows more than you know the power of your words. That's why Jesus said, by your words, you're justified, or by your words, you're condemned. Now, let me say this. If he can get you to the point where you say it, this ain't working. This faith thing doesn't work. A tithing thing doesn't work. I went up there and had hands on laid on me for healing. I'm sicker than I've ever been. He knows. Now, listen to me. He knows once you say it, he can download every emotion, every feeling, everything that he has in his repertoire of his own warfare in order to reconfirm unto you what you have just said. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make sure that every, the drama that you're going through, the problem that you have, all the thoughts that are here in your mind, you start entertaining one, then you say this, it's not working. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to, we're going we're to lose the house. We're going to lose our car. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they're going to fire me from my job. Now, now he knows once you say that, then boom, every emotion, every feeling, it just washes over you. And once that happens, because we're such sensual beings and we respond to feelings, Many times that's where we are captured and the ultimate goal of the adversary begins at that point. Are you with me? You say, now what is the ultimate goal of the adversary? The ultimate goal of the adversary is to break your fellowship. Now let me say that again. The ultimate goal of your adversary is to break your fellowship. Now, Fellowship is a powerful force in two different entities in the earth, and both of them are divine. Fellowship, first of all, in the marriage. Marriage is a divine institution given by God. One man and one woman, according to the Word of God, make up the marriage covenant is what it's called. And according to the laws of our land, a man and a woman can come together in marriage and a relationship will be recognized by our government. Go down to the courthouse, you come to the church, you, you, you say your vows, I, you give me a, an envelope, in that envelope I sign, I date, I do that, I send it back. It is filed at the courthouse and you are legally married, which means we recognize the relationship of Mr. and Mrs. John Smith. Are you with me? Now, out of that, the man and the woman really don't base their life on that. They don't look at each other and say, man, I'm so glad we got that piece of paper at the courthouse. Aren't you glad you got that pill? Oh, I'm telling you, I tell you, I'm so glad we got that piece of paper. I'm telling you, you never even think about it anymore. It's not even a thought in your mind. So what the man and the woman begin to enjoy is what? Fellowship. 
fellowship. What happened? Now listen, what is the ultimate goal of fellowship? Do you know? It's reproduction. That's why the devil hates marriage. Because reproduction is the goal of fellowship and he loves to divide the man and the woman and get them out of fellowship. This little problem, that little problem, you have this little spat, that little spat. That's why you need to guard your marriage. You need to guard your marriage and if your fellowship in your marriage ever gets broken, do everything you need to do as fast as you can to get back into fellowship with one another because that broken fellowship is of the devil. Amen. Amen. Then there's the other divine institution called the church. Everybody say the church. Now, go if you will to the book of 1 John. Go to 1 John real quick. We've got to look at this scripture. Go to 1 John. Now let me read the scripture real quick. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, but if we walk in the light as he, in the, as he is in the light. Now notice, we have fellowship what? Say that again. Now say that again. It doesn't say we have fellowship with God. No. It does not say we have fellowship with God. It says we have fellowship. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Look at your neighbor. Say it to your neighbor. Say it to the neighbor on the other side. See, we don't know how important that is to God. Go on. Let me, let me back up a couple of verses here. Look at, look at verse... Uh, Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, back in reference with the one we have. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, Christ His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what, what, what John is writing here, this is an epistle to the church. This is just like one of the Pauline epistles. He's saying this. He says, now listen, you, in the marriage, the strength of the marriage is the fellowship. The fellowship of the husband and the wife. As long as they're in fellowship, reproduction is secured. As long as they're in fellowship, the family continues generation after generation after generation after generation. As long as they have fellowship, there's joy. As long as they have fellowship, there's peace. As long as they have fellowship, all of the good things that God has intended for marriage get downloaded into that marriage because of their fellowship one with another. The Bible says, Peter says in his letter, their prayers are not hindered. Woo! Glory to God. Stay in fellowship. Then God says, okay, I've got another institution for you because not everybody's married, but everybody can come to the church. And in the church we have fellowship one with another. Now what is the purpose of our fellowship one with another? Reproduction. You're starting to get it. I said you're starting to get it. It's reproduction. That's why we go to all of these nations. That's why we teach the Word of God over the Internet. That's why we do what we do with our crusades and meetings that we do. That's why we do what we do is because of fellowship in the church. Now, what is the enemy after in your spiritual walk and in your church experience? He is after your fellowship. Amen? Now, let me say this, and don't get mad at me, and don't write me a letter, send me an email saying, I don't like what you said. Because I didn't say it. God said it. The judge of how close you walk with God 
is judged by your fellowship. My fellowship with you, your fellowship with me, us coming together. What has the enemy attacked in our nation over the past 20 years? He has attacked the church. He has attacked the church. They, we gave the statistic the other day between 2000 and 2015. 60 out of the 100 people that went to church in 2000, 60 of those people do not go to church anymore. Therefore, only 40 are attending church. Now, if we were able to bring that 60 back, how many people would be in here today? For every 40 that was in here, we add 60 to it. We'd have to have church out in the parking lot. Come on. Now, that shows us that a majority of Christianity in America is what? Out of fellowship. And people are saying, well, the church is weak, the church is not strong. Well, no wonder they're saying that. No wonder they're saying it. And just as a husband and wife must guard their fellowship and protect their fellowship and make sure if there's anything that causes them to get out of fellowship, they restore that fellowship back. You have to do that with your church. He said, well, you're just trying to get us to come to church. Exactly. I'm a pastor. That's exactly, but I'm wanting you to see the benefit of what it means for you to be faithful in your fellowship. Because in your fellowship, what happened? Uh, we, had, we had the deal with their, with their, grand, with their grandchild. Uh, we were praying for, for Hunter. Her, we got a great report on him. Now he's out of the hospital. Listen, all of these prayers we pray at the end of the service for protection, for safety. They work. Why? Because of the fellowship of the church. The people that come together in agreement with the Word of God. And the enemy does everything he can do to get you out of fellowship because he knows if I can get them out of fellowship and them out of fellowship and them out of fellowship I can stop the reproduction of the entity amen now listen to me I believe with all my heart because I've been praying for this for 20 years we were coming home last night I went to dinner with some friends and after prayer and I just told Leah I said you know I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I, 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 I preach on Sunday. I preach on Wednesday. I, I pray. I pray every day. I study the Word of God. But basically, I'm, I'm, I came out of 20 years. I came out of 20 years of being in a meeting almost every night. Revival. I was a revivalist. I went to churches and God would move and signs and wonders and miracles and the power of God, the anointing of God. Churches would be built. One church we preached in, we did a Sunday through Friday and 36 families were added to the church. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the last 10 years of our ministry, we did 300 meetings a year. And I told Leah on the way home, I said, I long for the days in which I'm in a service every night. I long for the days in which I don't go to the ranches to hunt anymore. I don't go to the bays to fish anymore. I don't do any of that anymore. I'm in the presence of God. I'm teaching the Word of God or sitting under the teaching of the Word of God, enjoying the fellowship of the body of Christ and watching the reproduction take place on a multiplication level where many thousands of people are coming to Jesus Christ. That's the only hope for our nation. That's the only hope for our nation. And that's what spiritual awakening do, will do. But my fear is it takes some cataclysmic event to push the church toward that. Why does it have to do that? Why can't it start grassroots? Well, we begin to see the need. I've watched it for 35 years of ministry. One of the most grievous things to my heart. 
where people will come and they'll begin to get fired up for the things of God and God will begin to move and then they get into a fight. One of these wrestling matches. And the thought thing will begin to happen. And the, and the words thing will begin to happen. And, and all the fight that goes on begins to happen. Next thing you know, they begin to back away. Don't come to prayer anymore. Come to church every once in a while. And every time you see them, they put on a good smile and everything. But you know in their heart, they're hurting. They're in pain. They're going through trial, tribulation, and trouble. And the enemy is bringing a full frontal attack against them to get them out of the church. I want you out of the church and out of the reproductive process. That's why you've got to fight to stay in. I mean, church is different today. This is not, this is not 1995. It's not 1985. It's not 2005. It's not even 2015 anymore. The enemy knew. He knew if I can bring an attack against the church to begin, and I've heard every stupid thing that you could ever hear of why you shouldn't go to church anymore. Church is under a curse. If you've got a 501c3 corporation, you're of the devil. We ain't of the devil. People talking about, well, I belong to a church on my cell phone now. No, you don't. <laughs> Let me try that again. You don't belong to a church on your cell phone. Amen? No, Satan has stolen the most precious part of your relationship with God through Christ Jesus and that's your fellowship in the body of Christ because when you come to church, honey, and I come to church and you come to church and you come to church, we all come to church. We are Jesus in the earth. This is Jesus in the earth. When Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus after all that torment, he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He sees no difference in this here and himself. And how you treat this here is how you treat Jesus. And then people wonder, why is my faith not working? Why are my prayers not getting? Why do I feel depressed all the time? It's because your fellowship is broken. And that's one of the most devious strategies of the adversary. I watched him run it on me as a child. Things begin to happen. Our family, you know, we got a good family. We've got our parents raised us in the, in the move of God, in the kingdom of God and all. But that doesn't mean we had a perfect family. Our family went through some, some trouble, some trials, some, some situations. And, 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 and my grandmother, who was a, a powerful intercessor, I watched her die of cancer. And I thought to myself, if grandma can't get it, ain't nobody can get it. This is a farce. I ain't serving no God let grandma die. Listen, you can never judge God by what someone else does or does not receive. That's one of the tactics of the adversary to get you out of fellowship. I started listening to the wrong music, hanging around with the wrong people, looking at the wrong things the wrong way. Next thing you know, the imagination of my mind went crazy. And I walked away from God. I walked away never intending to come back. Amen? You say, why not? Because the fellowship, once it was broken, I did everything I could do to keep it broken. But thank God for mercy. Even though fellowship was not broken, relationship was still there. 
and you may break your fellowship. You may wander from church to church. You may go from place to place. But let me tell you something. God will not break that relationship with you and He will bring you into a place that if you will let Him, He will restore your fellowship with Him, give you hope in this generation and cause His blessings to flow into your life. You've just got to value your fellowship. Now let me close with this. Let's add our, our four words we've been using for the past six weeks. Intention. What is God's intention for you? Let me tell you, God has every good intention for you. For your marriage, for your finances, for your health, for your children, for your grandchildren. His intention is blessing. His intention is health. His intention is goodness. There's nothing bad about God's intention for you. People say, well, He'll allow you to go through some things. Hogwash! Amen. I like what one of my country buddies says. Bull butter. <laughs> that ain't true. He has no plans for destruction. No plans to put you through something. To increase your piety, your holiness. No, no, no. God has already given you all that through Christ. He knows you're down here in a fight. He knows you're down here swinging with both hands. He knows you're down here fighting for everything that the Word of God says is yours. And he's sitting there in your corner saying, go for it, go for it, go for it. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Amen? Amen. He loves you. He cares for you. That's his intention for your life. Influence. You can't get under the influence of what you're going through. All of us go through things. Some of us go through tragic things. Some of us go through disappointments and, and, and things that go on and it just, it just brings us down and we're, we're disappointed or we're deceived or whatever. We can't get under the influence, the emotion of all of that. You can't do it. You've got to stay under the influence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Bible says of David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Man, there comes times in your life, you come to church, you don't get any encouragement. You listen to the pastor, you don't get any encouragement. You come to prayer, you don't get any encouragement. It's just not there. You've got to rise up. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got to kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make a decision. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And I'm going to receive all the things that God has for me. You've got to make a decision to do that. You've got to stay under the influence of the... And you can't let people influence you. You can't do it. I've had that happen to me so many times where I've let somebody, you know, and they'll get into your head if you let them. No, you've got to walk in love toward people. You've got to stay under the influence of love. You've got to stay under the influence of faith. You've got to stay under the influence of the Spirit of God. If you do, it will cocoon you from all those other emotions that try to get into your life. Then your perception. You say, what is it? How do you look at things? How do you look at things? People many times have such negative perceptions of life. Listen, life is worth living. Life is worth living. Life is a gift from God to every person. Now, now listen, listen. Now that you're born again, now that you know the Lord, you've got the greatest life enhancement you could ever have. It's better than a billion dollars. It's better than a big old stack of gold. It's better than fame and fortune. You've been, you've been a recipient of the very Zoe or life of God. Under the influence of that, your perception changes. It's no longer on yourself. It gets on Him. And when it gets on Him, it gets on others. You say, what do you mean by that? You no longer see yourself as the number one recipient of all of your effort. 
I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for me. No, you've already, you've already performed the greatest act of self-preservation you can perform. You say, what is that? You got saved. So all the selfish stuff is over. So now everything else is for what? It's for others. That's the nature of Christ. And in doing that, as your perception begins to change, I believe God for money. Millions of dollars. Lee and I have handled millions of dollars over the past 35 years. But it hadn't been for us. It hadn't been. For, it's been for others. We share our success. That's one of the things about having good success, as it says in Joshua 1.8. Good success, success that comes from God. You don't hang on to it like this. No, you give it out. You give it out to others. We love doing that. We love sowing into the nations of the world. Sowing into Look at all the missionaries that come. Why do you think they come by Island Church? And pass up hundreds of churches with thousands of people to come here. You know why? Do you know why? I mean, just bedrock, bottom of the world, uh, bottom of the, uh, where the rubber meets the road, reality. They know they're going to get something. I mean, it's that simple. Go to Island Church, we'll get something. Go there, we might get recognized. Go there, we're going to get something. You say, why? Because we have a heart for the nation, a heart with people doing missions. You've got to understand that. So once you have, and once you understand that God's intentions for you are good, everybody say good, and you have that, that, that influence of His Word and Spirit and your perception changes, then full persuasion is so easy. Devil attacks your body. You're just like, man, devil, you're a... What do you bring these symptoms against me? By His stripes, I'm healed. I'm not, I'm not sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed of God using the Word of God to drive this out of my body. A little financial bump hits you in the road. You say, ah, devil, my God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory. I tithed last week. I offered. I gave to that missionary when he came. What do you mean trying to mess with my finances? Devil, get your hands off my finances. Authority works. The word works. Prayers get answered. The goodness of God comes into manifestation. And you become part of the reproduction process of God because your fellowship stays secure in that which God has given us to secure us in this earth. A closing thought. Marriage is given. What's amazing about marriage, and I've studied it, Old Testament, New Testament, this is the only thing that God allowed the fallen man and the fallen woman to take out of the garden. They couldn't take any of the fruit. They couldn't take any, anything that was there. But God said, you can take your covenant. You can take your marriage. And in the marriage whether it be a Christian marriage or any other kind of marriage. It doesn't matter because God has already given His Word. In the marriage, the sanctity of the husband and wife is protected by a covenant that God has given. You say, well, what about all the heathens? It doesn't matter. God gave His Word. So it works in a Muslim marriage. It works in a Buddhist marriage. It works in any marriage. You say, what do you mean? Because God gave His Word. And he doesn't discount it because somebody hadn't found him yet. Amen? Well, he looks at the church as the same thing. When the church began to be birthed, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, God birthed the church in power. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, God's healing power. From that point forward, Satan began to rise up. First of all, it was the Judaizers. It was all these different... You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to get... Christians to recant on Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's trying, they've taken tie 50 of them to a post and they douse them with pitch. Pitch is a crude type of oil. And they'd hold a torch up 
And they'd say, would any li anyone like to renounce Jesus? And no one would do it. And they'd light the, they'd light the pitch. They'd light the, 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 the oil or the gasoline. And the flame would go. And the people that were there would start worshiping God. And singing hymns and singing praise. Nero lost his mind over that. Because he could not get them to recant. They would not trample the blood of Jesus under their feet. You say, what do you mean by that? We're not dealing with natural things. We're dealing with eternal things. Spiritual things. Things that have an a, a, a eternal flavor to them. So you can't take it for granted just because, you know, you read a little scripture. No, you've got to pull yourself into serving God with all that you have. I've said this for years, you know, in consecration, commitments, things like that, that I always came up so short on. I never forget the Lord speaking to me one time and saying, I don't want your consecrations. I don't want your commitments. And I said, what do you want, Lord? He said, I want your life. And I said, I don't understand. He said, I gave you my life. I want your life. Then it became clear to me what God wants. He wants your life. Because He can do more in your life than you can ever do. He can do more with your life than you can ever do. And He can do more for your life than you can ever do. So it's worth it to give God your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and life to us. We thank you for all that you're doing in us, for us, and through us. And Father, we thank you right now. Each and every person is able to judge themselves correctly according to their fellowship. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the good things you're doing for us, as is our tradition. We claim for our church, Lord, many that are on vacation and traveling, others that may be at work today, we still claim the protection and safety afforded us by Psalms 91. We declare no evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. So therefore, in our travels on the highways, the airways, the seaways, and the railways, we declare our protection. The righteous labor of our hands, Lord God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we handle the resource you've given us, recognizing that you are our source, thank you, Father, that we're not subject the evil plans of wicked men or the Satan himself, we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, cocooned and protected from accidents, situations, and circumstances that would try to bring harm to us. Thank you, Father, for your divine protection. Lord, and just as important, we thank you for the door of utterance outside the four walls of our church, that we can be an answer to people's prayer, a problem to the adversary, that we can be a miracle in people's lives. Let us go forth from this place practicing the ministry of reconciliation, of restoration, of encouragement, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils. Freely we received, freely we will give. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. Thank you that you love us so much. And Father, we walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for our church. We're so grateful and thankful to have a family like this to serve you with. Lord, we leave today as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, 
visit our website at islandchurchgallison.com.